So the story that we're studying today in the Gospel of John is a long narrative. It's 42 verses long. So we're going to do something a little bit different today. I've asked some friends to help bring this story to life. So if you want to follow along, it might be hard with the lights the way they are to follow along uh, in your physical Bible. If you can, that's great. The digital notes, uh, they also have this story from John chapter 4. Otherwise, just listen. Uh, We're going to be reading. We've broken up the story into parts, but we're reading this from the Word of God. This is coming right out of the Scripture. It's not just a skit that we're doing and making up as we go along. This is coming from the Word of God, John chapter 4. This is the story of the woman at the well. Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. And he had to go through Samaria on the way. And I just want to pause and ask, why? Why did he have to go through Samaria? Going through Samaria back to Galilee would have been the shortest route, but that's not what a normal Jew of that day would have done. They would have taken the longer route around to avoid Samaria altogether. So why did he do that? He wasn't pressed on time. He didn't have a reservation at the Hilton in Galilee waiting for him. Why did Jesus have to go through Samaria? Let's keep reading. Eventually, Jesus came to a Samaritan village, this village called Sychar. And there's a lot of important history that happened in this village. This is where Abraham first built his first altar. This is where Jacob bought some land and he he gave it to his son Joseph. This is where Joseph was buried. But the historical event of most significance to our story is when Jacob dug a well. He dug a well here in Sychar, a very deep well, 100 plus foot well, and it was still in place, still being used in the days of Jesus. Jesus was tired from the long walk, and so he sat wearily beside the well about noontime. The disciples had gone into the village, and they went into the village to buy some food. Soon, a woman came to draw water. And she said, or Jesus said to her, Please, give me a drink. You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. Why are you asking me for a drink? Now you might wonder why this interaction is starting off so awkward. Why was this Samaritan woman surprised? Why was she shocked that Jesus would talk to her, let alone ask her for a drink? Well, in the words of the great theologian Taylor Swift, there's some bad blood here between the Jews and the Samaritans. They have history. And that history all started over a bad breakup. Back in the days of King David, eventually there would be this breakup that would happen in the kingdom. They had a national divorce, and it resulted in a southern kingdom and a northern kingdom. And the northern kingdom wanted nothing to do with the southern kingdom. They said, you know what? We don't even want to come and worship at the temple in Jerusalem anymore. We're going to do our own temple. We'll build our own temple in Mount Gerizim, here in this village that we're in. And so that's what they did. And 
Uh, eventually, that, that uh, separation turned into a farther and farther drift from God. Eventually, their theology got really bad. They began to change their theology. They, they came to the conclusion that only the first five books of Scripture were legit. Anything that had to do with David, anything that had to do with the temple in Jerusalem, they rejected. And that resulted in some bad theology. Meanwhile, while that was happening in the, in the northern kingdom... Uh, the southern kingdom was also beginning to have some issues, but the Assyrians were rising to power. And as they, the northern kingdom began to drift farther and farther away from God, God raised up the Assyrian Empire. They came in and conquered the northern empire, took a bunch of people off into captivity, brought some Assyrians and some foreigners into the land of the northern kingdom. And what happened then, those who were left behind, they began to intermarry these foreigners, these Assyrians, and that further... Uh, began to mess with their theology. Idol worship and bad doctrine uh, became uh, just something that took place uh, throughout the years ahead. The southern kingdom wasn't far behind when it came to their drift away from God. and God eventually rose, uh, raised up the Babylonian Empire, who overcame the Assyrians. They came in, did the same thing to the southern kingdom, captured a bunch of people, took them off into captivity. The next empire that would rise would be the Persians. And the Persians were more into uh, freedom than some of the other kingdoms before us. It was more political in nature. They still had an iron grip, but they allowed the, the Jewish people to go back home. They allowed them to go back to Jerusalem. So that's what they did. They went back and they began to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. They began to rebuild the temple. And the Samaritans, like the ones in this village, they wanted to participate. And they said, we're, we're part of you. And, then, and the Jewish people coming back from Babylon said, no, you're not. No, you, you, you intermarried with all of these foreigners. Your theology, your doctrine's terrible. You are no longer pure. That's what they said to them. Well, you can imagine they didn't appreciate that. And so it began to create this tension. The next empire that rose up was the Greeks. You remember Alexander the Great from your history classes? Well, during that time period, the Jews actually attacked this town they destroyed the temple like Mount Gerizim. You can imagine that just uh, made the bad blood even worse. So by the time we get to this scene, by the time we get to Jesus in this moment between this woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, the bad blood has been around for a long time. There's history, and the tension is real. And we jump back into the scene with that understanding of why it was that this interaction felt so awkward to her. What did she say? You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? If you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and even his animals enjoyed? Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband. I don't have a husband. You're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man that you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir... You must be a prophet. 
So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in the truth. I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. I am the Messiah. Just then, the disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking with a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her, or why are you talking to her? The woman left her jar beside the well, and she ran back to the village, telling everyone, Come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me, and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvest, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others have already done the work. And now you will get to gather the harvest. I want you to imagine that you are the village. All right? You get to be part of the story. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. And when the people from the village came out to see him, they begged him to stay with them. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. And then they said to the woman, here's your part. It's going to be on the screen. Let's say this out loud. Ready? Now we believe, not just because. The Savior of the world. I want to thank everyone who helped bring this story to life. Thanks to Pastor Jeff and the guys that built this well. They did a great job on that. I want to thank Melissa for being willing to take on that, that uh, difficult part. Not a lot of hands, I'll just be honest, not a lot of hands went up when I asked, who wants to play the part of the moral train wreck? Not a lot of hands went up uh, to play this part of, of a woman who, who would go out during the hottest part of the day, about noontime. That's not when most ladies would gather around the well to, to gather water. They would do that in the cool of the evening or maybe early on. And uh, she apparently had had enough of the whispers. She had had enough of the rumors. She had had enough of, of the condescending looks. And so she was in the habit apparently of going out at noon when she expected no one else to be there to get water. Not a, lot of, a, a long line chomping at the bit to play a, that part, but... I would imagine this. I would imagine as you watch that scene unfold, as you listened, as you imagined, maybe that Samaritan woman 
is someone you can relate to. I bet there's, I bet there's some of us here today that, that could say, you know what, my life was a mess. My life was an absolute train wreck before I met Jesus. Or you might say, if I'm being honest, there are things in my past that I'm embarrassed about. There are things in my past that I am not proud of, but thanks to the grace and love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, he's taken away my shame, he's taken away my guilt, he has absolutely transformed my life. Is there anyone who could say amen to that? Amen. Amen. As we study the Gospel of John, we've been asking this question, who is Jesus? And it's pretty obvious, it jumps off the, the page as you were listening, as you were following along It's obvious in this story that Jesus is the living water. He is the source of eternal life. But I want you to notice how Jesus describes the living water. It's it's not like the still water at the bottom of a hundred foot well. No, it's it's, uh, fresh water. It is is living water that is flowing. It's, It's cool and refreshing. It's like the water from a spring. It's like the water that flows from a stream. And it gurgles up over the top of the well. It's always fresh. It's always new. That's how Jesus describes living water. He describes himself as not only the source of eternal life, but our source of a transformed life. A life that is now satisfied, not by all these other things that that woman, or maybe some of the things that we chase after. No, finding satisfaction in him allowing him to refresh us, allowing Jesus to bring satisfaction to our dry, parched soul. I think it's amazing as I, as I imagine the story, imagine that moment in real life. By the end of this story, not only does this woman put her faith and trust in Jesus, but it says that many people from this historic town in Samaria, they also believe that Jesus is, quote, the Savior of the world. That is incredible. Jesus is the living water that every one of our parched, dry souls need. But when I read this story, I can't help but wonder, how is it possible? Jesus just met this woman for the very first time. And in that interaction, he broke all the social norms of the day. Especially when he asked her for a drink. Not only only did he talk to her, which would have broken a lot of social norms, he asked her for a drink. That would have been unheard of. That's why she was shocked. Then, then he confronted her with the failings in her life, the sin in her life. Then he told her that her theology was wrong. And, and through all of that, still this woman came to the conclusion that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the living water of eternal life, and her life was radically transformed. I, I, I try to imagine, try, try with me just to imagine this scenario that we watched play out in our modern day culture. I don't think it would be too hard for us to identify potential Samaritans in our own lives. It's not hard to identify people in, in our lives that we know that have terrible theology. It's not hard to uh, imagine people that we know in our lives that do not have a biblical worldview. And what sometimes happens is because you, 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 let's say you have a biblical worldview, 
and you know someone, you interact with someone that does not, that wants nothing to do with a biblical worldview. They've rejected uh, the Bible. They've rejected God. Uh, that can create relational tension. Imagine having a conversation like Jesus had with, with a woman at the well, if we were to do that today. Even, now, I understand, introverts are already starting to squeam, like, oh, they, this, is, this is no good. But I think even extroverts would, uh, would admit, this is, this is going to be, having a spiritual conversation in this setting is going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. Because oftentimes what happens, uh, if, if we do interact with someone who wants nothing to to do with God, they have a, a, a view, they have uh, a perception of what we are like or what we think about them. Oftentimes they believe that we look at them with a narrow-minded Christian uh, bigotry and that we must hate them because they don't, uh, they don't have the same biblical worldview that we do, so we must, we must hate them and wish them ill. That's oftentimes the conclusion that people will come to. When they, when they look at someone who goes to church, they look to someone uh, who is trying to live out a, a Christian biblical worldview. And so in that setting, I imagine, and so I think most of you would imagine, uh, this would be a difficult conversation. And maybe you've wondered, I, I don't even know how that would begin. Like, how would I even start a conversation? A spiritual conversation with someone that I am so culturally divided from. And then, how am I going to confront them with sin? How am I going to tell them that the theology is, is all wonky? How, how am I even going to have these kinds of conversations, let alone have them come to the conclusion that Jesus is the living water that their parched soul needs? It just seems that's never going to happen. And yet, we probably all know someone with a story that sounds like this. I'm the last person that you would ever think that God would change. I'm the last person that you would ever think could be transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and yet that's exactly what God did in my life. I am proof that Jesus can transform anyone. I imagine there's maybe someone in the room who could tell that story. As I imagine this scene playing out in real life, I, I just tried to stay by the well a little bit longer and watch. And as I, as I watched the story unfold over and over again in my mind, as I read through the story, there are three observations that I want to share with you of what I, what I see taking place here. If, here's the first one. If people around us who need living water are, are going to hear about where to find it, then we must have a burden on our hearts to share Jesus with them. If people around us who desperately need the living water that Jesus offers, if they're going to hear where to find it, you and I have to have a burden on our hearts to share Jesus with them. I want to go back to that question that I posed at the very beginning of the story. Why? Why did Jesus have to go through Samaria? Why? Going through Samaria was, was not the normal route that a Jew like Jesus would have taken. They normally would have taken the long way around because they want to avoid the terrible Samaritans. Jesus was not in a hurry, so why did he have to go through Samaria? I, I don't think that this was a random happen chance 
meeting at the well. I want you to notice in their interaction, she wanted to change the subject. Did you notice that? Jesus started talking to her about some real hard things about her life. And it got a little personal. And she wanted to change the subject, which I understand. That makes sense. I can see that happening in real time. And she wanted to talk about the differences between uh, their religious beliefs. She wanted to talk about why is it, you know, that Jews only believe that worship would take place here. And and she wanted to change the subject. But Jesus redirects her back. And he said, well, soon it's not going to matter where you worship. It's only going to matter who you worship and how you worship the king. What I find fascinating about that interaction, when I read through it over and over again, I see uh, in, in that section of Scripture, Jesus talks about the Father a couple times. talks about the Spirit. But you notice in, in, in that dialogue, he doesn't mention Messiah. He doesn't, he doesn't mention the Christ, the coming Messiah. He doesn't say that in, in the text. And yet that is... Her conclusion from, that's her response back to him. Yes, I know that Messiah is coming, this one known as the Christ, and he'll explain everything. That's what she says back. Well, where did she get that from? Where did that come from? I want you to look at verse 38. Imagine that scene again. Jesus is there. He's talking to his disciples, and he switches from water to food in his analogy And in that, he talks about this harvest of souls. And in verse 38, he says, I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Who's he talking about? He doesn't specifically identify, but we do know this. It's possible that he's referring to John the Baptist. John the Baptist was in this region baptizing people, preaching a message of repentance, preaching a message that we need to be, people of that day needed to be spiritually prepared for the coming Messiah. Is it possible that this Samaritan woman heard this message from John the Baptist, this message of repentance, this message about the coming Messiah, and her heart was ready, her heart was prepared to meet Jesus? I don't know that for sure, but it's obvious in the text that Jesus does know her history, and he does know her heart. I think that's why he had to go through Samaria. This this woman's heart, I believe, was ready to hear the gospel truth. It had been prepared in some way to hear what she desperately needed to hear about how her dry part soul could experience living water that would refresh her, the eternal life that she could experience through Christ. She was, she was ready. And I believe Jesus knew that. And I think that's why his heart drew him. He, he had to go meet this woman. He, he had to go through Samaria. If people around us are gonna hear about the living water, if they're gonna hear where to find it, We've got, to, we've got to have a burden on our hearts to share Jesus with them. Here's the second observation. We also, we have to be willing to meet people where they are. We have to be willing to meet people where they are. Now, in a literal sense, we have to be around people. Really hard to have conversations with people if you're never around people. And I, I want you to notice where this scene 
It takes place. It's just an ordinary day. It's an ordinary place, and they're doing an ordinary daily activity. And I want you to think in terms of this is, this is the grocery store. This is the ball game that you go to. This is, this is the pickup line at school. This is the gym. This is the senior center. Just ordinary, everyday life provides for us opportunities to be where people are. But I also mean, when I say meet people where they are, yes, literally, but also in a figurative sense, meaning we have to be intentional about being kind, about being gracious, about being loving and respectful, ready, before they repent. Before they are transformed by Jesus. Before they ever care one little bit about what the word of God says, how we should live our lives. We need to meet people where they are and not expect them to be someplace that they're not yet. Jesus initiated this conversation with someone that no one expected. She was shocked. The disciples were shocked. But Jesus saw more than just a woman that was in a different cultural box than him. Jesus saw more than a woman who had a messed up life. Now Jesus saw a thirsty soul that needed living water. That's what Jesus saw. What would that mean for you and for me if that's how we intentionally disciplined ourselves to see people around us? I don't think it happens Accidentally, I don't think it happens uh, even necessarily naturally. I think to see people the way Jesus sees people takes an intentional effort. It takes a lot of prayer. It takes the Holy Spirit transforming our own hearts to be able to look around at people who are different, people who aren't uh, spiritually where you are, and to just see them the way that Jesus sees them. This is a person whose soul is dry and parched. They need living water. And I know where to find it. I wonder if disciplining ourselves to see people the way Jesus sees them might give us a greater motivation to just begin a conversation with with anyone, whoever God puts into our lives on any given ordinary day, ordinary places that we find ourselves doing ordinary things. If the people around us who need living water are going to hear about where to find it, we've got to have a burden on our hearts to share Jesus with them. We've got to be willing to meet them where they are. Here's the third observation. We have to be willing to have uncomfortable conversations. And already the introverts in the room are like, I'm out. You had me. You had me up to about two seconds ago. <laughs> I don't want any part of this anymore. I understand, but stick with me. Stick with me on this because... Uh, what I'm, what I'm going to challenge you from the Word of God, it doesn't matter if you're introvert. It doesn't matter if you're extrovert. This is just you being you and sharing your story of being refreshed with the living water of Jesus Christ. You can tell your story. You can do that. There's a passage in, in 1 Peter that I want you to read. It'll be on the screen. You can follow along. If you want to look it up, that's fine. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Here's how it starts. In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. That's how it starts. I just want to pause on that. It starts there for a reason. 
We have to make sure that our hearts, before we have spiritual conversations, especially awkward ones or difficult ones with people around us who need Jesus, we have to make sure that our hearts are right with Jesus. We have to make sure that we are living what we say we believe. If we're not living what we say we believe, it's going to be really difficult to talk about how Jesus can transform lives if we ourselves are not allowing Jesus to transform ours. Does that make sense? We've got to live what we say we believe. So we start there. Is my heart right with the Lord? Am I, am I actually following Jesus? Am, am, am I living a Jesus-centered life? Let's start with that. Okay, I'm trying. I'm working at that. Uh, 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 that's what I'm pursuing. Yes, we're not perfect, but that's the direction I'm headed in. When I mess up, I'm going to repent. I'm going to make it right, and I'm going to keep moving forward. Right? That's the, that's the heart attitude we're talking about. In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Now, here's the next part. Now, be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. I'm going to add on the last sentence. We'll come back and talk about that. The tone of those conversations, you'll see, is gentleness and respect. That's really important. Not condescension, not I'm more spiritual than you, or you're, you're, you're so dumb, why don't you know that that's... That's not uh, how the gospel should be presented. We, have, we know where the living water can be found. We just want to tell our story. Be prepared. Now, here, here's the thing about being prepared and the awkward conversation. If we're prepared to talk about heaven, if we're prepared to talk about eternal life, uh, those might not be difficult, hard conversations in and of themselves, now, they seem pretty pleasant on the surface, don't they? Heaven seems like an, uh, an interesting, pleasant conversation topic to have with someone. Here's where it gets awkward. Here's where it can get difficult. How do we get there? We can't have that conversation of how we can know for sure that our soul will have eternal life in heaven with Jesus. We can't have that conversation if we're unwilling to have the conversation about sin. Because... When we say uh, to be saved or to have salvation, well, from what? Well, from sin, from the hell that, our, that, that our, w- the wages of our sin deserve. That's from what? And, and we have to be willing to have that conversation to be able to talk about the reason Jesus had to come. The whole reason he had to die on the cross is because we are sinful. We are, we are not right with God. Here, here's what oftentimes I think happens with people when it comes to this conversation. I think most people that we'll have this conversation with, in their minds, here's how they think about issues of good and, and sin and, and bad. They, they will look at someone like the woman at the well, right? They'll look at, at her and say, I am not as terrible as her. Okay. But then what happens is they then equate that with I'm not that bad, therefore I am good. No, you're not. No, you're not. But that's, that's how people think. I'm not terrible like this person, therefore I am good. And the, and the truth is no, I'm not, and neither are you. We are, we, are, we are separated from God for all of eternity because of our sin unless Jesus steps in and forgives us and rescues us and changes our hearts. 
And we can't have that transformation conversation. We can't talk about uh, why the cross is necessary or why the power of the resurrection is so important. We can't, we can't have that conversation if we're unwilling to talk about the discomfort and the awkwardness of our sin. Why do I need Jesus? <laughs> because, because, I'm, because I'm sinful and the wrath of God is upon me. That's why Jesus came, right? That we have to be willing to have that part of the conversation when we talk about the gospel. If, if, we, if we want the people around us who need living water to hear where to find it, we've got to have a burden on our soul, burden on our heart to share Jesus with them. We have to be willing to meet them where they are and willing to step in and have awkward, difficult spiritual conversations. And when we do that, I, I imagine this, I'm sure like you have. You, you read it, you, you watch it play out, and you're like, okay, but that's Jesus. That was Jesus sitting at the well. And I, and I, I had the same reaction. I read it a couple times, and I'm, I was discouraged, to be honest. When I first read it, I was discouraged because I'm thinking, okay, Jesus is sovereign, and he knows her history. He knows her heart because he's omniscient. I can't, I can't read people's minds. I'm not omniscient. I can't just look at someone and, and tell you whether or not their heart is ready to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can't do that. So I, I just hung out by the well, and, and, and I, I read the story again, and I prayed, and I, Lord, I, I'm not sure what to do with that. And here's what the Lord reminded me. The Lord reminded me, yeah, I don't have the advantage of omniscience, and guess what, neither do you. But I do have, because I've trusted Christ as my Savior, I do have the advantage of the Holy Spirit living inside of me. And if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you also have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And the Holy Spirit does know what God's been doing in people's hearts. The Holy Spirit does know where that person is, how many seeds of the gospel have been planted in that person's life. I don't, I don't need to know that stuff. I don't need to be this incredible debater. Uh, I, I don't need to be this incredible apologist. I don't, have to be, I don't have to be weird or aggressive. I just have to be me and allow the Holy Spirit and trust the Holy Spirit who's going to put me in this ordinary place on an ordinary day doing an ordinary activity and, and just trust that he's going to open up an opportunity to have a spiritual conversation with this person. It might be the last person on earth you'd ever imagine, but God's placed that person in my, in, in, in my life or in your life in that moment. Okay, Lord, give me the courage to say what you want me to say. Help me know what this person, and, and I don't need to know, Lord, where they're at. Am I the first seed of the gospel that's planted? Am I the one who gets to have the harvest? I don't need to know that. I'm just gonna be faithful and tell my story about how Jesus has transformed me, how he has, how he has given me the living water that has quenched the thirst in my soul. I can tell that story. I want you to take one more good look at the well. Just an ordinary day, doing an ordinary thing. And yet, what did we see? We saw Jesus stepped in, and he transformed that woman's life. And that then rippled out into an entire town. Guys, there, there are people in your everyday, ordinary life that desperately need the living water that Jesus provides. And they don't know where to find it. 
they may know that something's not right. They may know that something's missing. They may know that, that they feel dry and empty inside, but they don't know where to find the living water. My friend, you do. And we don't, we don't need to know the when or the where. We just need to believe that God is going to provide for us opportunities to share our hope in the living water of Jesus Christ. We just need to commit ourselves to be courageous, commit ourselves to be ready whenever and wherever God provides those opportunities. One more thing. If you are here this, this morning and you can, you can identify to that woman at the well, in, in this sense that you're like, and that's me, my, my life is, is messed up. By my own doing. It seems like I'm in this pattern of these bad choices and I just keep doing it and it's to the point where it's just one heartache after another heartache and, and, and I don't know how to get out of it. I'm in this spiral and I don't know what to do. I, I don't like my life this way. I want my life to be different but I'm not sure what to do. Look again at Jesus at the well and I want you to reflect on the fact that it says in the text, he had to go to Samaria. Why did he have to go to Samaria? He had to go because that woman mattered to Jesus. And so do you. And so do you. He will meet you where you are. He will meet you where you are this morning and he is ready to forgive you. He is ready to transform your life. He is, he is ready to wrap his loving arms of, of grace around you and forgive you of your sin, and, and remove the guilt and the shame, all of it, and, and bring you into his family, just transform, he's ready. The question is, are you ready for Jesus? I've been hoping and praying for you all week that today would be the day. We'll talk about that here in just a little bit. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you so much for your loving kindness and your grace. Thanks that we have this moment together. In your word, thank you for preserving for us the story of the woman at the well and how powerful that story of love and grace and forgiveness is. I need that story in my life, Lord. I need to be reminded that you will meet me where I am, that, you, that your grace is enough. Lord, I pray that if there's even just one person in this room that their soul is so dry, so parched, they, they, they feel the distance. They, 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 they don't know what to do next. I pray that you would meet them where they are right now and that they would respond by faith to your offer of grace and forgiveness, your offer of eternal life, your offer of a transformed heart. Well, thank you for what you will accomplish. Give us courage, Lord. Those of us who've been following you for a while, sometimes we get apathetic. Sometimes we get maybe a little bit scared of what people will think about us or they'll think that we're uh, being, being obnoxious or weird. And I just pray that you help us just to be ourselves, to just tell our story of what you've done for us and how you have, have given us your living water that has, that has satisfied us. That's where we find our satisfaction in our relationship with you. Help us to be willing to tell that to the people around us in our ordinary day, in ordinary lives, doing ordinary things. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand in a moment, okay? We're going to sing a last song. Here's what I want to tell you. If you need to talk to somebody about salvation, I'll be hanging around up front.
come talk to me or one of the pastors after the service. Uh, there's some really cool things on our website that you could check out. Uh, there's some buttons there that say, I'm ready to trust Jesus. That one's a really good one to push. And it'll give you all the explanation you need about the gospel. We, we want to help you understand what it means to follow Christ. Let us help you. Let's stand and sing a song.